Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 335. We're going to look again at the primeval period and at Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of man. Now that's where we're going to end up, but I want to go to 1 John chapter 2, that's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, and we're going to work our way back through the scriptures to see that indeed what Eve was facing with the great temptation of Satan was the same kind of temptations that were given to the Lord Jesus, the second Adam, of which he overcame and was obedient to the Father. And Eve and our first father, Adam, the first Adam, was disobedient. And it is the same kind of temptations that we are tempted with today. When the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a high priest that has passed into heaven that has in every way been tempted like we are yet without sin, that doesn't mean that each individual temptation that we are tempted with, Jesus was tempted with in 40 days. That's not what it says. But what that means is that indeed we are tempted with the same kind of thing that Eve was tempted with, that the Lord Jesus was tempted with. But since Adam, every one of us have fallen except the Lord Jesus, and he was obedient from the very beginning all the way to the death on the cross. That was why he came. He had his face set like a flint to go to Jerusalem and to die in obedience to the Father and to humble himself even to the death of the cross was he obedient. But First John chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, that is the cosmos, the world order, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the word cosmos is the word for world here, and it is the word for order. Cosmeo, where we get cosmetics, come from that. Cosmetics are designed to highlight and enhance the lines, the natural beauty lines of a person, of a woman. And so, indeed, that's why it's called cosmetics. Cosmos means order. And when the Bible says, for God so loved the cosmos, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would never perish, that is, their lives would not be ruined and wasted, but they would have everlasting eternal life. When he uses the word world there, he's talking about the order of men. But there are two other world orders, the order of nature, that is, everything that we see, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rhyme, the reason behind all of that is order. God is a God of order and design. So there is the ordering of the seasons, the design of the seasons, the rain, the weather, all of that is part of God's seasonal aspects of life. And so you have the world of man and the order of man, that the male is in charge of this, and that has to do with creation order and the fact that the man was not deceived. Now, that's what Paul told Timothy. And we don't have time to go into all of that because that's not the purpose of this particular podcast. But what I do want you to see, that the Bible says, for all that is in the world, this world order that is anti-God, that is under the domain of Satan, yes, temporarily, but still 
under his domain. Paul calls him the prince and power of the air, the God, little g, of this world. And so he has much power and influence right now. And he is walking about, uh, seeking whom he may devour, like a roaring lion. And so the Bible says that all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, verse 16 is the key verse. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I would suggest to you that the lust of the flesh is an inordinate desire to do something that God has not ordained. The lust of the eyes is the inordinate desire to have something that God has not ordained. The pride of life is the desire to be something that God has not ordained for you to be. Now, it doesn't mean that whatever it is is bad, but it means that the lust of the flesh is the desire to do something that God has not ordained that you do. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have something. It's based in materialism to get something that God didn't ordain for you to get. And the pride of life is the desire to be something that God has not ordained for you to be. He maybe has ordained for someone else to be that, or he may have ordained for someone else to have that, or God may have ordained for someone else to do that, or to do it within the confines, like uh, sexual relations, within the confines of the marriage relationship. But before the marriage relationship and extra the marriage relationship, it is an inordinate desire. God may desire for you to have something, but the way that you gain that or how you gain it and keep it may be an inordinate way to do that. The desire to be something, God may want to lift you up, but it has to be in His time and not you or someone else lifting you up. It is God who promotes, and promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, the north, the south, but it comes from the Lord. And so these are the three categories of sin. Now, isn't it amazing? This is exactly the categories of sin that Jesus was tempted with over and over again, according to the Gospels, and Matthew chapter 4 is a good place to look at that. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted, solicited to do evil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, and by the way, that's a first class conditional sentence in the Greek text that is written in the indicative mode. And that means that it is assumed to be true. So it's not if you were, he knew who he was and he knew Jesus knew who he was. And so that should be translated, not if condition, but since condition, since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now that was a temptation to do something. And it wasn't wrong to have bread, but the way that he got that bread and the way he was tempted to get it was not God's way of doing. And so Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, by the way, that's the highest point. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And he misquoted the scriptures in the sense of out of context. He shall give his angels charge concerning you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He didn't say what was before that and what was after it. And Jesus said unto him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, what was that? 
That was the desire to be somebody. You see, what Satan said was, hey, get up here, and if you cast yourself down from this highest point in this uh, overlooking the Kidron Valley, if you were to cast yourself down from this highest point, God's not going to let you fall. God's not going to let you hurt yourself because this is what the Scripture says. And Jesus came back and properly put things in context and said, you're tempting the Lord God, and you are not to do that. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because Satan was wanting him to try to show that he was somebody, is somebody, but in a way that God is not ordained. You see, he was somebody, he is somebody, but he didn't have to prove that, and Satan was trying to lead him astray to be somebody and to receive that and get acclamation for that in a way that God had not ordained final temptation. And again, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said unto them, all these things I will give unto you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, what he was saying is, I'll give you all this. That's the lust of the eyes, the desire to have something that God has not ordained for you to have. Now listen, Jesus is going to have it all anyway. But Satan was trying to short circuit the will of God and the way of God. You see, sometimes it is not that God's not going to give us something. It is that we are tempted to take it and use it in a way that God never meant for it to be or to obtain whatever it is that God's going to give us in an inordinate way. Ask Abraham about that. When he was tempted to go into Hagar and he listened to his wife and did not heed the voice of God and and act in faith and trust God to provide a supernatural son, which he did in Isaac. He did in the child laughter. Ask King David versus Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Both of them were promised a kingdom. David waited patiently, even though he was persecuted, and God brought it about in his time and gave him everything that he ever desired and everything he promised, but he waited for God in his timing. You see, knowing the will of God is only one thing to serving God. It is God's timing that is very important. And so we can know God's will, and we can then try to make it come about in our own flesh. And when we do that, we step out of the will of God. Jesus knew that, and he rebuked Satan. There will be a time when all of the kingdoms will be given to the Son, and it will be open for all to see. But that was not God's timing. Now let's go back to the book of Genesis, and we'll see exactly. The Bible says, now the serpent, this is chapter 3 of Genesis, during this primeval period, we've looked at creation. We have looked at the creation of woman, of man. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We made the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now nowhere do we read anything about the touching, but that may have been part of the prohibition. We don't know what God told exactly Adam, but that's not the point. The serpent said, You shall not surely die, for the Lord knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's setting the trap. What he is doing is questioning the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy of God, and that God really doesn't want the best for man that he had just created. So the seed was planted. And the Bible says that the woman truly was deceived. Eve really thought she was doing the right thing. She 
really thought she was following the right thing. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And so she was tempted to take something, to do something that she was not ordained to do, that it was pleasant to the eyes. That is, that she could have something that she really wanted. It would make her better. And a tree desirable to make one wise, and she took its fruit and ate. That is, she wanted to be somebody. She wanted to be like God because, you see, that's what Satan had lied to her about. Now, listen, the number one characteristic of Satan and the greatest tool he has is deceit. And he doesn't come to us as some ooze out of the swamp, some reptilian creature. He comes to us, the Bible says, as an angel of light, and he can deceive even the elect. The Bible says that during the days of the Great Tribulation, when Satan is personified in the Antichristos, in the false Messiah, the one who is raised up to be a counterfeit Jesus, then the Bible says that unless the days were shortened, the very elect of God, those who are saved would be deceived. That's how deceitful he is. He is a liar, and a lie is a deceit. It is a way to deceive someone. That's what a lie is. A lie is not making a mistake. A lie is not using misjudgment. A lie is when you deliberately know what you're doing, and you're trying to deceive someone to believe one thing when the reality is something else. And so all of these were in that temptation. So she gave that to her, her husband with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves coverings. Now, this is very important because not that I'm going to go into all of the exegesis and all of the explanation of the fall, but I want you to understand that when Adam fell, his fall did not just affect him. It affected the very universe, according to Romans chapter 8, when it says the entire creation now groans, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. Listen to what Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus spread to all men because all have sinned. You see, it was through the man. The man was not deceived. Eve was deceived, and that is why women, according to the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said that a woman is not to be in leadership. She's not to be a teacher in the church. She's not to be the one that is charged with headship, and the reason is because she actually was deceived. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, this is in relationship. He's talking to Timothy in relationship to the gathering of the ecclesia. He says, for Adam was formed first. You see, because of creation order, man is the head. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. There are two reasons why a woman is not to be the leader in the home and the church and society. Number one is creation order. God takes it really seriously. All you have to do is read through the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and you'll see that those who were born first have a special responsibility, especially the firstborn male. 
And Adam was not deceived. Adam knew full well what he was doing. You see, Eve was deceived. But man was the apex of God's creation, that is, mankind. But Adam was formed first and had the greater responsibility. He had the responsibility to pass on to Eve, to mentor her, to guide her, to guard her. This is confluent and consistent throughout the Bible. I know women don't want to hear this, but it doesn't matter. It's what God says. I know men don't want to hear this, but it doesn't matter. It's what God says. We have a role to fulfill and the women have a role to fulfill and they will be fulfilled in life as they fulfill the role that God's given them. Men will be fulfilled in life even though it's difficult for both and going to take the spirit of God. It's going to take the spirit of God to enable us to fulfill our role but men we are to lead and that is a very very tough thing to do in our generation is to be spiritual leaders. Adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And a woman is more easily deceived than a man. This has been proven over and over and over again. And I know what women say, well, you don't know. Well, there are exceptions to that. But as a general rule, women are more susceptible to flattery and to words than men. Men are more analytical. This has been proven over and over again. And that's not to say that an occasional man will not be the opposite of that. An occasional woman will not be the opposite of that. But the reality is this is the way it is most of the time, or God's not correct, and God's always correct. So again, the Bible's our final authority, not what you think or what I think. And so when Adam fell, when Adam sinned, when Adam made a choice to choose his wife and her happiness and her pleasure over the pleasure and the happiness and the obedience to God, then not only he, but everyone who came after him, his seed, are cursed along with all the universe. That means that we are born with a nature, a sin nature, with a sin propensity, an inclination to sin. No one has to teach anyone how to sin. We do it as soon as we can. We make a choice over and over again to sin against God. That means every child, as soon as they're able to, they will make a choice to sin against God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's everyone that can, they will. Everyone who has the ability, they will. Everyone who lives long enough, they will sin. That's what the Bible teaches. And so the fall not only cursed Adam and Eve, but it cursed all of us. But here is the wonderful news. God immediately, immediately provided an atonement, a covering for them. And so he slew an animal and he clothed them with the skins, looking forward to the day when the Lamb of God would come and take away the sin of the world. This is why the Bible says, and it is reiterated in the book of Galatians, as it is in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a cross. It was a scandalon. It was a, a scandal that God would use the death of an innocent person, totally innocent, totally obedient to God, totally pure. And because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross for your sins and mine, in Jesus, when we come to him and we are drawn to him and we receive the grace of God, repent of our sins, then the Bible says the curse is broken. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb. For on the way, this is Tony Chris. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. 
That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.